Hey everybody, my name is Jonathan Martin and you're listening to the Zeitcast. Thanks so much for joining me. This is a really special time. It's a really special episode. And, I mean, feels like it requires a bit of an explanation, but then again, uh, what is uh, what you're about to hear if not one long story? This is recorded in the city of New Orleans, my favorite city in the world, city I dream in, place I just got married in, you guys, and uh, a lot behind that story. But for the purposes of this, this podcast in particular, it was special, wild, hilarious that we ended up, because, you know, our whole plan was that we were going to do a bit of an underground wedding and then do something more public for friends and family back in Oklahoma City this summer. So um, I ended up speaking in New Orleans, which me being the mystic that I am, I took as a nudge because we were already talking about getting married within this particular window. Again, you're about to hear more about this. So uh, we did it and we ended up having to switch the dates, which meant I preached twice the morning after getting married. Who doesn't do that? Who, who wouldn't want to do that? Actually, it turned out to be a really wonderful and extraordinary time. And it just felt like the sermon couldn't be business as usual. Uh, it had to be something that was very vulnerable, really authentic, really true to the moment, uh, to everything that was happening. The moment and the moments leading up to it, where things kind of fit into the master narrative, into the broader story for me. So you hear my attempt to, to grasp at that a little bit here. I hope that doesn't seem self-referential, but at the same time, uh, the church I was at, wonderful folks, Vineyard Nola, um, in the series on resurrection stories, felt like I really need to share my resurrection story. This idea of testimony that's important in the Pentecostal tradition where I come from. There's something about naming the particulars of your own story. And hey, it's a, uh, it's a story to tell, to be sure, and a redemptive story right now, one I'm really, I'm really grateful for. And uh, I think I ultimately landed that rather than being just self-referential, kept thinking about the honor now and quote that I think about really all the time, that that which is the most personal is that which is the most universal. And I think that bears out in most of our experience that the deeper that people are willing to go into the depth of their own experience, the more it opens up experience within us. So I'm not giving any more disclaimers. I'm in no mood for disclaimers. This is not a time in the world for disclaimers. This is a time for truth, time for beautiful truth, but uh, truth in its wildest and most unhinged form. So I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm not coming back around at the end. I want to let the thing be the thing. So I'm just going to say right up uh, top one more time. I am so thankful for each of you. Uh, really, really grateful for those of you who are listening. Uh, whenever you like, uh, whenever you uh, review, uh, post reviews, whenever you share, all that means so much to me. Uh, certainly for those of you who support on Patreon, thank you guys so very much. It is deeply, deeply appreciated. I am thankful to be on this road with you, and I hope that you know always the same thing that I feel in the city of New Orleans is the kind of welcome that I'm hoping to bring to the people around me, and I, that's this invitation. Hopefully you feel like that all of you is welcome in this space. Thank you for sharing in this space with me. Welcome back to the Zeitcast. Let's go.
speak today, but you should know that last night, Jonathan got married, and he's still here this morning. How about that? Yeah. So why don't you guys welcome Jonathan to the stage? Well, good morning. How was your night? <laughs> you know, um, I feel like I, now I should answer so many questions like, what kind of a weirdo gets married and then preaches the next morning? And there are multiple answers to that question. Let me say, well, I'll say this first. I'm so happy to be back here. Thank you so much. It is such an honor. And he, I, I really, um, I'm really not just saying this. I don't know why. I'm, I feel like I'm overly earnest sometimes. Like, why, do you not, why would you not? You have no reason to not believe me. But there are just a handful of places that I've been that are really, really, like, extraordinarily special to me. And uh, this is truly one of those places. So um, Andrew's saying books coming out. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff happening. I'll say more about it in a few moments. But it's, um, it's kind of bananas, actually. Last weekend, I was speaking for my good friend Brian Zahn. I think some of you are familiar with Brian. And then being there and then being here. Oh, at this very special time in my life, it just means the world. So I'm excited for all kinds of reasons. Uh, before I say more about all the things, let's just take just a moment to pray. And God, I just thank you so much for the very real gift of your very real Holy Spirit that's in this place. Um, we, I don't feel the need to invite you. We know you're already here, but we do just want to open ourselves now to the ways that you would speak to us, to the ways that you would open up our hearts, to the ways, as it was for those disciples on the road to Emmaus, that as we're talking, that as we're sharing from the depths of our souls, that you would illuminate yourself to us, that you would make yourself known to us this morning. And I just really consciously want to get out of the way this morning. And in that way that I always want to in moments like this, just to fully yield, fully surrender to whatever your spirit wants to do in this place now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, okay, so there's a, a lot to talk about. Well, so first, to answer the question of what kind of weirdo preaches the morning after they, got, uh, they get married, um, number one, we weren't planning to get married last night. We were going to get married tonight, but we were going to do it outside. And uh, unless it's shifted uh, in the last little bit, the forecast for tonight is pretty bleak. So uh, we decided to shift towards last night. And actually, as a person, I love preaching. I love your church. And I thought, this actually sounds really amazing to me. Nicole's on her way, by the way. I, I, I wasn't going to like, as a bride, I wasn't going to push her out the door this morning. Like, you take your time. <laughs> you take your time. But she'll be here just a few minutes, I think, before the service is out. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. A um, lot I can say, and I want to say about her, so maybe I'll leave, uh, I'll leave some of that for a little bit later. But I will tell you this, we just had this vision of this is truly my favorite city in the world, and I've, I've said that when I was here before, but I feel like it takes on different meaning. Since I just got married here, you know something of the, how much I really do love it here. And truly my favorite city in the world. And we really felt like we wanted to do something that was 
small and intimate where the thing is just about the thing. Um, we're going to do something this summer that will be more public and celebratory with all of our friends and family and uh, kids and that kind of thing. Um, so many changes in my life. You know, I've, I have no kids biologically, and she has four. So as you, as you might imagine, it's a very new life for me, <laughs> which is amazing. They're, they're fantastic. But we're also, we're cool. We want to make sure they were okay. They love the idea of doing, so long as they're doing, we did some in Oklahoma City, they were great. But we're very happy to be doing this without them as well. It's like, this is great. We'll come to New Orleans. Like, we're just, this is just going to be us. And it's so special. Um, my friends, Joel and Tosh, my best friends, came in to officiate last night. It was really beautiful. Uh, mass chaos, by the way, because, so we shifted from what was going to be tonight to last night. Their plane got delayed by several hours because there were storms where they were. So what was going to be beautifully lit in uh, Audubon Park, we were going to do the, by the Tree of Life at like 6.30, turned into more like 9, uh, uh, 9.30. And so we, just, so we decided to get married in the quarter, thinking that would photograph cooler at night. So we just got married in Pirate's Alley. Isn't that, uh, <laughs> isn't that fantastic? It's what people do, right? They get married in Pirate's Alley. Right there by Faulkner House Books. I take the weight of literary history very seriously, and it was, um, oh my gosh, it's unbelievable, it's unbelievable. So uh, I'm, 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 leaving, I'm leaving some more there because I want to I wanna get back to it. And y'all forgive me, if I, if I seem scattered at all, obviously this is for, for many understandable reasons. A few things, um, though, I do want to say. So um, if you want to turn your Bibles, <laughs> this is going to be like the least expository sermon I've ever preached but Luke 24 is more or less where we're going. And um, so here's the thing. I have, a, uh, I have a new book out called The Road Away from God, How Love Finds Us Even As We Walk Away. And this has been exciting how this has fallen too. The release date on the book is June 7th. And the publishing, by the way, I feel bad if this sounds like too much of a plug. I'm terrible at doing plugs. No one ever wants me to sell anything. I'm very bad at it. Again, it probably because the over earnest thing. I just, this is just another reason that this feels cool and special today. With supply chain issues, uh, my publisher thought the book wouldn't be ready until release date, if that. So we were afraid it would be, uh, you know, didn't know if it'd be ready by then. And as it turns out, um, I got my first shipment of them Friday of last week. So just in time for last weekend and this weekend. Uh, so I'm not, not saying you just have to have one, but I will say that unless you were at Word of Life in St. Joseph, Missouri last weekend or here, these are the only places in the world that these are available until June 7th. So if you want one, it is, it is, it is honestly exclusive to uh, here, St. Joseph, Missouri, and a little place called Alma, Arkansas that I will be two days before the book release. So there's the only place it is. It's not online, anything like that. Um, but this, this is a real labor of love, and it's basically my Emmaus Road book. Um, this story has become so central to me. So I hate giving lots of disclaimers. I try to avoid those in preaching these days and just get right into business. But if you work with me here, before I get into the story, I do feel like I need to give this disclaimer. This is going to be the most memoir slash testimony sermon I've ever given. And I almost feel the need to apologize for that because if you know anything about what I do generally these days, any time I'm doing something like this, I love to open up a text, go deep into the text. People find their story in the text. Uh, certainly don't want to feel like narcissistic or like I think my story is especially important or I definitely don't think any of those things. 
but you are in a series called Resurrection Stories. And so while you're in a series called Resurrection Stories, and this weekend is such a monumental one in my own story, it just feels weird to preach something like a regular sermon. You know, it just feels weird, just or like something that's even out of the book. Like I, did, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. So it feels like it has to be personal. It feels like it's gotta be reflective and be a bit of a testimony. Um, I don't know how you grew up. I grew up deep in the Pentecostal tradition. My father's a minister, uh, 76. Grandfather was a minister, kind of pioneer, Pentecostal pastor type. And if you know anything about the world uh, of Pentecostal churches, you know the testimony is incredibly significant. And we used to have testimony services. And there was kind of a, it's interesting because in Pentecostal churches, we, even the kind I grew up in the South, they're more sweaty and kind of holy roller kind of environments. We had a liturgy. Uh, all churches have a liturgy. The, the trick for us is like Pentecostals. We just didn't write anything down. I mean, you still, the same thing would still happen at the same time, even down to the same lady who would speak in tongues every week at about the same point in the service. We just didn't write anything down. That was, but, but we had a liturgy. And part of the liturgy is you, when you give your testimony, there's a way you give your testimony. I just want to thank God tonight that I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost on my way to heaven. There was like a format. There was a way that we would give testimonies. So um, I want to share a little bit of a, I want to share a little bit of my testimony with you. It's uh, in, in light of very much this story in Luke 24 verses 13 through, no, let's see, 35 which I'm more going to talk about, but we may refer to a few verses here and there. So the story of the Emmaus Road has become for me, and I, you know, I, I'm a big personality. I have, also have ADHD. Maybe I'm prone to hyperbole. I don't mean to be, but I will tell you what I've been saying for years. The Emmaus Road story is, is truly my favorite story in the Bible, and I almost feel like there's, Nothing important about God, life, scripture, the human story that I don't find in this story. Adam and Eve in this story, um, prodigal son kind of in this story. I really do feel like it's kind of the story that sums up so many stories. And part of what I love about it, part of where I've come to, to see this so differently, and um, I'm not going to go in detail here the way that I do in the book. This is more set up for the moment. But just this idea that the disciples, who you have to keep in mind, these are, these are Jewish men, deeply devout Jews. Uh, Christianity as we know it does not exist. They understand themselves to be part of a reform movement within Judaism where they honor Jesus as Messiah. They don't understand themselves to be part of a whole different thing. So Jerusalem for them is the center of the universe. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is their spiritual home. So we have this story about, well, in verse, uh, chapter Luke 24, verse 13, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And it's not clear from the text exactly why they're going to Emmaus. There's speculation that maybe they lived in Emmaus, uh, that their homes were there, or maybe Emmaus was on their way home. Um, Either way, what we know is that Jerusalem was their theological home. Jerusalem was their spiritual home. Jerusalem, where the temple is, this is where God lives. Like everything about the Hebrew story is focused in this place. Their lives were oriented around Jerusalem in every way. But now Jerusalem, 
which is the holy city, the sacred space, is the place where they've seen Jesus of Nazareth tortured and killed. So now the sacred space is no longer a safe space. It's now a crime scene. And so what we know for certain about this is whatever the significance of Emmaus is, I think there's great significance in this text in the fact that they're walking away from Jerusalem. Because as far as they're concerned, the fact that Jesus has been tortured and killed means he's not the Messiah. We were wrong about this. One of the most heartbreaking verses in all the Bible is as they're on the road and they're talking about these things, there's this, there's this particular part where the one disciple says to the other, where Cleopas says to the other, we had hoped that Jesus was the one. And you hear so much heartbreak in that past tense, had. We had hope. We had hope. We used to hope. But we don't hope anymore. They lost hope. So I'm convinced that what the story is trying to tell us in Luke is that the disciples, so far as they know, are walking away from God. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from the temple. They're walking away from the institution. They're walking away in disillusionment and despair. So a a lot of where this book has come from for me is because I have a lot of people in my life who are in that place of deep disillusionment and despair. By the way, I really don't know anybody in this very strange cultural moment that we're in. And by the way, since the last time I've been here, we've had COVID and all those kinds of things. In some ways, doesn't it feel like a million years ago? So many things have changed. The world's changed. Almost if people aren't freaked out, then I'm kind of like, are you not paying attention? Like if your life is too normal, (laughs) I wouldn't quite understand that because it's just such a time of of transition. Everybody I know is wrestling with some question of, okay, do I, do I stay connected to God in this, in the way that I have before? Do I stay connected to my church? Do I stay connected to my tradition? And a lot of where this whole journey has come from for me is seeing the lives of my friends and my own life in this story in this way. These disciples think that they're walking away from God. Ostensibly, they're walking away from Jerusalem in disillusionment and despair. We thought Jesus was the one. We had hoped that he was the one. But if you read this story, you know what's actually happening is that while they're having this conversation where they share their heartbreak, where they share their trauma, where they share their pain, where they share the grief that they experienced in seeing Jesus tortured and killed, is that unbeknownst to them, that same Jesus is walking with them. So they think they're walking away from God and God is actually walking alongside them. It's where, uh, where the title, I know for some people, sounds provocative. It's not a, obviously it's not a book about atheism. The idea is that Jesus is the God who will walk with you even on the road away from God. That even when you walk away from God, Christ is the God embodied who walks with you even on that road. As David will put it, even if I make my bed in hell. Uh, even if I fly, to, if I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, there's no place that you escape this presence. So a lot I want to say about that, but I told you this is going to be my testimony. I'm going to go a little deeper than I have in a minute. So I want to, I want to say it to you like this. We're staying in uptown, lovely little place uh, right by, Audubon Park and Zoo there. What a gorgeous just place that is. 
And yesterday morning, and you have to understand, y'all, I promise, I don't, I don't try to like engineer sermon material. Like I don't go around thinking like, what can I do that will be worth preaching about? So was it that kind of a thing? Yesterday morning, I got up early. Uh, I know your pastor, and I want to say more about him. I saved this for here because it, uh, it just felt relevant. But as I know you know, your pastor is a really special person. Yeah. Phil and Deb are really special people. I mean, they're really special. Yes, yes. <laughs> Not like, you know, guest speakers here, so of course you've got to say something nice about the pastor because he invited you here. <laughs> like, they're really special people. I don't know a whole lot of church leaders that are as committed to following Jesus in the way that they are, committed to tell the truth about wherever the journey leads them, be completely honest about that, take you on that kind of journey. Like it's so, it's so moving to me. I, so many people that I know, even uh, folks like me who do something like this, are looking for elders. And he's just that kind of elder person and presence that I just so much accept him. Anyway. I know, he's out of town now, but yesterday we got to have lunch. And I decided that I was going to walk from uptown to the quarter to Tableau where we had lunch. <laughs> now, hey, it's not a marathon. I mean, this is not like a test of strength. I know it's like, oh, like, this, is like, this is all that impressive or something. What I didn't think through, because it is, of course, humid, is how much I was going to sweat through my clothes before going to eat at a nice place, but I had a lot enough time. It took about two hours to walk because it was, it was 6.5 miles, 6.5 miles from where we're staying to there, 6.5 miles. Now, I promise I wasn't trying to set myself up. It hits me while I'm on this walk and I'm looking at the maps thing on my phone and seeing that this is a 6.5 mile walk. Oh man, the walk to Emmaus was a seven mile walk. And so... In the same way that when they went on their long walk, everything that was inside them starts coming up. And of course, what was coming up inside them was their grief over just seeing their best friend and the rabbi, the one they believed to be the Messiah, killed. And they're talking about that. That two-hour walk for me yesterday was time and space to reflect on a lot of things. And I just, I just, I just... I'm like, well, I don't make it sound like my life was flashing before my eyes. I wasn't, it wasn't like a near-death experience. But I just started thinking about some things. I started thinking about the first time I came to this city. I grew up in a denomination called the Church of God. I don't know if you know about the Church of God. I always joke about us being the hillbilly Pentecostals. And in 1990, when I was 12 years old, they had the Church of God General Assembly here in New Orleans which is, by the way, utterly hilarious because it was at the Superdome. And that was the time before our little pretty strict conservative Pentecostal uh, organization had loosened up on things. So that means you still probably got half the preachers are like, you know, um, women not cutting their hair or wearing makeup or jewelry. And, you know, we didn't go to the movies, like that kind of stuff. Like all that shifted kind of in my lifetime. But that was still, all, the, all that was still a thing there. And so I have this super vivid memory of walking with my parents at 12 years old down Bourbon Street <laughs> for the first time with all these Church of God people, the men in their suits and ties, 
and the women with their long dresses, and well, they're walking to the Superdome and walking right past, you know, like penis ties. And, <laughs> and it's 1990. I like Bourbon Street, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was a little rougher then than now. It is like, it, like there, and I, I saw a lot of things I'd never seen before at 12 years old. And I remember having the simultaneous response of like, this is terrible. Oh, this is awful. I could just do averting my eyes. And also I was 12 years old and hitting puberty. And also like, this is really exciting. I want to, <laughs> I got to take all this in. It was both, I was both scandalized and I thought, well, this is kind of amazing. But really what I kind of came away with, uh, you know, the, the way that people who aren't, haven't spent time here will think about New Orleans as a place of like debauchery, it's just, just like spring break all the time or whatever, is I kind of came away from, the, you know, the way people are like, oh man, well, that's a really sinful place. Hopefully we were a light there. And I, never, and I never came back to the city for, goodness, uh, had to be, uh, but, well, most of my adult life. I was 12 then. Then in 2014, my life completely upended. Um, ended up going through a really painful divorce, which was inconceivable to me, partly being product of a holiness tradition. I never could have imagined any of that. And just was in complete turmoil. I had a certain identity within my tradition. I had a certain identity in my, you know, as my father's son, all these kinds of things. I just realized I'm not thinking about time at all. I probably should be mindful of that. Um, I, I just, uh, everything was upended. And I had some friends, uh, their names are Tim and Barbara Gilbert, actually. Saw them yesterday. And they were this sweet couple who had followed me, been supportive of my ministry from afar, just been super kind, but didn't know them very well. One of the things I got from the people I grew up around, I always uh, joke about being an accidental mystic. I don't know if folks are weirded out by that word. What I mean when I say it is just this sense of learning to listen to the Spirit and follow the Spirit. You know, which now I'll say to some of the folks who I know don't understand the journey I'm on, well, if y'all wouldn't have taught me how to listen to the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't be here because then I had to go wherever the Holy Spirit told me to go. But I, I, I do. I, I've gotten plenty of things wrong in my life, I've, plenty of times and ways I've screwed up. But I'm telling you, I don't feel like I've ever been wrong when I've listened to that deepest, truest voice in here. And I remember when Tim and Barbara were, they were kind of new into my life and it was so interesting because they're kind of coming into my life at the same time my life's unraveling. And I was just in this phase where trying to start to rebuild and figure it out. And I spoke for my friend Brian Zahn that I mentioned, that was the same person I spoke for last weekend. And they flew all the way to St. Joseph, Missouri to hear me. And up until that point, because they live here, they kept saying to me, you really need to come stay with us in New Orleans. You want to, we would love for you to come and just stay and be, you know, just, just spend some time. And every time I was like, no, 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 because I'm a normal person. You know, like when people just say that, you know, you don't, who, who just says like, yeah, okay, I'm coming. Like, well, these are nice people. Of course, I'm not going to, I can't really do that. But I really felt like I heard the voice. I heard that voice that was like, next time they ask you, you're going to go. In a way, it was like, okay. And when they showed up unannounced, 
when I was preaching for my friend Brian Zahn, and they said again, we really want you to come to New Orleans. I said, I think God wants me to come to New Orleans. I, I will do that. Thank you. When can I come? <laughs> and so like a month later, I'm in their house, and I spent about three and a half weeks there. You see, this, see, this is why y'all should never invite me over. Next thing you know, it's three and a half weeks. All the really important things about shipwreck, uh, the How to Survive a Shipwreck, I wrote there. And, it, it, and all the things I needed to see, I kind of saw there. But let me tell you how wild it was that going from my last experience of New Orleans being 12 years old, and it's like, oh, man, this den of iniquity and debauchery, I don't know what to do with this and sensory overload or whatever, to coming in at the lowest place in my life and finding in this city with so much soul and so much culture and so much life. Oh, yeah, New Orleans, this island of misfit toys. I, I feel like I can belong here. I feel there's room for me here. I feel there's room for my grief here. I feel there's room for my deepest self here. There's room for soul here. Now I live in a place called Edmond, Oklahoma. I have wonderful people, but do you know how God-awful Edmond, Oklahoma? Do you think there's soul in Edmond, Oklahoma? No, but like New Orleans, like you get, to, you get to be a whole person. You get to bring your whole self. It was just like it was so mending and it's so healing. And I'm thinking about all of this yesterday as I'm walking 6.5 miles from uptown to the quarter, thinking about what all of this had meant. And then I get to Tableau and we have lunch. Just me and Phil and Deb. And those of you, of course, who know anything about your pastor know, and this is one of my favorite things about him, by the way, that, of course, he's a sommelier. Uh, this is fun fact, and I really do think this. I, I'm happy to be quoted on this, tweeted, like, whatever, I don't care, because I actually think this. The world would be a much better place if pastors in general were trained as sommeliers <laughs> instead of going to seminaries. Now, I love seminaries. I have two seminary degrees. I have an MA from the Pentecostal Theological Seminary and a THM from Duke. I'm not trying to name drop. I'm telling you, I would be better off if I were trained as a sommelier. Because you know something? Um, I believe I read somewhere, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> and, and the trouble is, a lot of times what we get is a lot of information about God that's transactional. And you learn facts about church history and about Luther and Aquinas and like whatever. And I'm telling you, someone who knows how to use their nose and someone who knows how to engage their senses and to smell, that is a person I would far more trust to handle the gospel <laughs> than somebody who's reading Aquinas in the basement for 20 years. Way rather trust my life with this Somalia, I'm just telling you. So we're sitting there and we're having this conversation because now with COVID and all this, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen any of y'all for like three years. And we're sitting there and we're catching up. And I'm thinking about the fact that not only the Emmaus Road was seven miles, I've just walked 6.5. But that the whole premise of this encounter they had with Jesus is that they were talking about their pain. They were talking about all the things that they'd shared, all these things they experienced. That was, that was the whole premise of the conversation. And so yesterday as we're sitting there, we start opening up about all of the pain. And I know you're all aware and are praying, of course, but everything that's happening with their son, Brian, which it just breaks my heart. What a beautiful soul. What a tender soul. 
But the unique heartbreak of that journey for them is parents who love their son. And I start to share about all the things we've been through on the road to get here. And Phil, of course, because whenever I'm with him, you better believe he's going to be the one to order the wine. And Phil generally is going to order a bottle of wine. And it's going to be a great bottle of wine. Now, I'm just telling you all, since it's apparently, um, I assume, safe to talk about spirits here, I have become a bourbon person, which means all my alcohol allotment goes towards bourbon. So for years now, if I, you know, if I have money to spend on that, I, I spend it on, I spend it on bourbon, which means the only time I drink wine now, it's going to be like a $9 bottle. It's been a long time. And I've had like a really nice bottle of wine because the, the allotment goes to, to bourbon. Let me tell you, Phil yesterday did not order a $9 bottle of wine. He orders this extraordinary bottle because the idea is, oh, we want to celebrate you. It's your wedding. This is so wonderful. And I had, and we're drinking that wine. I'm telling you, it was a Holy Ghost experience. I'm just like, all the things that I'm tasting, I'm like, oh, I forgot that wine could taste like this. Did I ever know that wine tasted? Did I know that anything could taste like this? It was just, I mean, seriously, unbelievable. One of those things, like, three hours later, I'm still tasting it. The finish just goes on for days. Like, it was just insane. And I specifically had this moment, right, whereas we're sitting there and we're having this meal. And we're sharing the depths of our pain. And we're eating delicious food. And we're drinking this just breathtaking wine. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what happened. <laughs> the disciples walking with Jesus, God's walking alongside them, and they don't recognize him. But they invite him in for a night, and they share a meal. And it's in the breaking of the bread, and it's in the drinking of the wine that all of a sudden there's a moment of recognition. Oh, oh, we know who this is. They remember that the same one who's serving them that meal was the one who served them the Last Supper. And all of a sudden it comes rushing back that this is that Jesus. And I realized, and I'm not trying to put this dramatically, I realized yesterday, it's like every, ah, oh, once again, we're reenacting this experience. Sitting down with friends, having a spiritual conversation where we're talking about pain and heartbreak in an honest way, God is revealed to us in drinking the wine and the breaking of bread. God is being revealed. We are being revealed. Our stories are being revealed. And I just, I just took that into my bones. All of those things, thinking about all the places I've been, all the places I've come from, North Carolina, my rural Pentecostal background. And last night I got married in Pirate's Alley. And instead of feeling displaced and disoriented and like, oh, what is this? Like, whatever. It's like, oh, man, just the sound of the jazz in the background. Most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Four wonderful kids that I've inherited. And <laughs> is that the way you say that? I don't know. The thing, though, and I promise I'm closing with this. Again, I have, I didn't, we didn't even talk about a time, so Andrew, please feel free to just, just call me. But th this is... This is really all I ever wanted to say. And I don't know if this is like, what, what is this guy even doing? It's a lot of storytelling. But this is all I really wanted to say. When, as I'm sitting with all this yesterday, which is a lot of experience, a lot to feel, a lot to think about, a lot to ponder. Here's the thing that really hit me upside the head that I don't think 
as much as I've talked about this and now written about this or whatever, I just don't think I've ever seen it quite this way before. That, I mean, it's the thing that maybe that's most on the surface of the story. The reason that originally the disciples don't recognize Jesus when he's walking alongside them is that Jesus comes in a form that they did not expect. And I think especially when we're talking about resurrection stories, all of us have these ideas about what resurrection would look like. And oftentimes resurrection has a certain kind of script. If God is gonna move, then God will heal me this way. If God is gonna move, then he'll restore my finances this way. These things are going to happen. And this is what my life is going to look like. When in reality, what we see in this story, what we see when Jesus um, is revealed to Mary Magdalene, right? Um, outside the, the tomb where she supposes that he's the gardener. And by the way, is, is largely right because he's the gardener of a new garden, the Garden of Eden rebooted. It's incredible imagery. But in all of these stories, the things we have in common of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus is that he comes in a form where nobody was looking for him. And what I realized was this, is that so much of the resurrection that I'm experiencing right now is in such a wildly different form from anything that I ever expected. I mean, wildly different form. That as a lot of that resurrection has been happening, I didn't recognize it as being resurrected at the time. You know, we sing that worship chorus. Y'all ever sing that here the... The resurrected Christ has resurrected me. I started to like sing it, but I'm not one of those preachers who can sing. The resurrected Christ you know is resurrecting me. It's great. I wasn't aware that I was being resurrected when I was being resurrected. Because the form of resurrection was so different. I had a man that I really trust, that I believe hears from the Holy Spirit. Not like a lot of weirdos out there, like whatever, but I believe hears from the Holy Spirit who years ago spoke a prophetic word over me, this is probably six years ago or something, that kind of broke me open. Since I don't have biological kids, he, he gave me this amazing word about me being a father that landed like really deep. Well, you know what I wasn't thinking when I got this prophetic word about fatherhood and all that? That those four kids already existed in the world and that they were coming into my life. I wasn't thinking about that. That was, that was not the form I was looking for. I, that, that wasn't on my radar. <laughs> Good Lord. I make fun of Oklahoma a lot and probably shouldn't. I love our people again, but certainly living in Oklahoma was not something I expected. A whole lot of things I didn't expect. But I look around my life right now and I think, oh, I can see so much of like, oh, God has done this. But you know, and this is where I feel like this moment is so significant, where this is so important. So the disciples don't recognize Jesus until they have this, there, there has to be a moment of recognition. Jesus has to explain to them how he was the one who was in the scriptures, their Hebrew scriptures along. He has to explain it. And I just, something about that just ran all over me on this walk yesterday. That oftentimes we don't know we're being resurrected until someone explains it to us. I feel like you're like, okay, sure, great, cool. I don't think y'all are hearing me. 
Because what happens is, I feel like most of the time, like we're still sitting around like, oh God, if you could just send a miracle. God, if you could just show up in my life. It's like that classic little story you hear. It's like a preaching kind of story that you hear all the time about the, how's it go? Like guys like on a lifeboat, like praying for God to rescue him. And then a helicopter comes with the ladder and he's still praying that God would somehow deliver him and like all those things, right? I, I really think so many times like we're praying, like God, would you do this miracle? And what we need is not the miracle. What we need actually is not so much for the circumstances to change, but for our eyes to be opened to see the way that God has worked already. We think we haven't been resurrected yet. We think there's not risenness around us. What if the reality is it's already happened? We just haven't had our eyes open and ears open yet to see the thing that God has already done. And then all of a sudden you're on a long walk where it just clicks and you see it differently. I thought all this was random. I thought these were detours. I thought I was on the wrong path. I thought, I, I thought all of this was just wild. I thought I was off course. Oh, no, no. You were walking exactly the road you were supposed to walk. I, I, I promise I'm done. How am I able to say something that audacious? Because I don't know the details of your story. How am I able to say you walk exactly the road you're supposed to walk? Because if the road you walk has led you to be here with Jesus now, I'm gonna call that a pretty good road. If you're sitting here now and you feel the love of God, if there's any kind of a drawing of the spirit, if it brings you to God's presence, how could it be the wrong road? Even going back to the whole, if I make my bed in hell, that's one of the things I love about God so much, right? Is that if Jesus walks with us, even on the road away from God, what road is the wrong road. What road is so catastrophic and so bad that it can't be redeemed? If it's led you to where you are now and you're with God where you are now, then you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And that means everything that's led to here has been grace. Every winding detour, every turn, every whatever, all of it's led to here. Right here, right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. I, I, I am so done. I just hope you can hear that in the depths of your soul. Somebody needs to hear that this morning because all this time, all this wasted time and energy of like, oh, where am I supposed to be? What's, where am I supposed to move? What person am I supposed to marry? What am I supposed to do about blah, 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 like all those kinds of things. How's that for a shift in perspective? Where I am right now is exactly where I'm supposed to be. God is here with me. God is here with me. And if, and hey, if there's time to move on, the spirit will make that clear too. But what if it's enough to say, God is here in this moment. This is enough. This is okay. Stand with me if you would. When I said long ambling roads that felt incidental, actually have led exactly where you're supposed to be. That's also feels like a metaphor for this sermon. Long ambling roads. <laughs> but I feel like it's landed where it's supposed to. I want to pray for you, and I just want to ask you as you close your eyes, oh, oh, Holy Spirit. So if you could just open up your, just crack open your heart for just a second and forget all about, forget all about um, 
hope that doesn't sound bad. Forget about the text we just talked about. Forget about any stories that I told personally. I believe that Jesus wants to light up the road that you're walking. And I believe God wants you to, God wants you to see right here, right now, the ways that he's been walking with you right where you are. I believe God wants to give you a different perspective on the path that you've been on. I believe that God wants to give you a, a revelation of the one who has risen, who's been with you all along. So God, I just pray for my friends right now, many of whom are struggling to see you in the pain, many of whom are struggling to see you in the anxiety, struggling to see you in the depression, struggling to see you in the midst of broken relationship, struggling to see you in the midst of uncertainty and all the things. God, I ask for, a res, for just a revelation right now of the risen Jesus, that you are with them and that you know them. And I pray, and I would even just speak this over you now in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, that you are seen and you are known. You are fully seen and you are fully known. And there's not one part of your experience. There's nothing that you're feeling right now. There's no path that you've walked, nothing that you're proud of, nothing you're ashamed of. There's nothing that escapes the attention of a loving God who holds you in this moment. Thank you, God, that where we are now is where we're supposed to be. I bless each of my friends now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen.